This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Right now, if you go to the Fowler Museum at UCLA, you will see gorgeous hand-printed textiles made by Aboriginal artists who live in Northern Australia. The work comes from five Aboriginal-owned and operated art centers in Australia's Northern Territory, known as the Top End. It's the first exhibition in the U.S. devoted to these textiles. They are stunning, highly detailed, and use color, pattern, and symbolism to transmit traditional knowledge, language, and stories about indigenous culture and their connection to nature. And they provide an important source of livelihood for these Aboriginal communities. The show is called Aboriginal Screen Printed Textiles from Australia's Top End. It was curated by Joanna Barkman, who is the Fowler Senior Curator of Southeast Asian and Pacific Arts, and she joins me from her home in Northern Australia, where she's lived for a number of years. Joanna, thank you for being here. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. There are 70 textiles in the show, very carefully made, highly detailed, and large format. So some of these are maybe the size of a picnic blanket. What do you love most about these textiles? Oh, they're so extraordinarily bold and colorful, yet there's so much detail and information uh, that's contained within the textiles. And ultimately, they're very beautiful. They're stunning. They're very eye-catching, and they really stop you in your tracks. So, yeah, they're very engaging artworks. Where is Australia's top end? Who lives there? What does it look like when you visit there? So the top end of Australia is a colloquial term that refers to the very northern section across the continent. But the main area that we've worked in in the top end is a part of the Northern Territory. So it's one of the territories and states that make up Australia. And the Northern Territory has the smallest population in Australia, but we have the highest population of Aboriginal people living on traditional lands. And so a lot of the art centres and the Aboriginal artists that I've worked with in developing the exhibition live in very remote and regional communities in what is actually a really magnificent part of Northern Australia. Some of the artists live in an area called Arnhem Land. It was named Arnhem Land by the Dutch explorers that visited Australia in the late 1600s. Arnhem Land uh, is home to Kakadu National Park. It's a World Heritage National Park and site, and it has got magnificent cultural and environmental significance. So in Arnhem Land, for example, you have a lot of sandstone escarpment country, beautiful floodplains in the wet season. And also that's the other thing to say about the north. In the north, there is a wet and a dry season. So it's a monsoonal climate. And so the floodplains are full in the wet season when it rains, beautiful lilies and lots of amazing birds gather to get water. But in the dry season, it's very harsh escarpments The stone country becomes really apparent, a very harsh and dry environment on which Indigenous people have lived for, as far as the record tells us, up to 65,000 years. Yeah. And of course, Kakadu National Park is also has some of the, uh, the world's most extraordinary rock art, which has been painted in some of the caves and the areas in that escarpment country. But some of the other art centres come also from the top end. Uh, it's a big area. Two of the other art centres come from an area called Tiwi Islands, which are two islands, Bathurst and Melville Island, that are just north to Darwin, which is the capital city of the Northern Territory. 
And so the Tiwi Islands have a very different environment. They have a different language. They have a different culture. So their textiles are informed by a very different set of environmental circumstances. And then finally, we have another art centre, Meripan Arts, that is over in the Daly River region, where there's very major river systems. And yeah, so it's a very diverse and beautiful area, but ultimately it's incredibly remote. And in fact, we're closer to Southeast Asia in the Northern Territory than, for example, the capital cities of Australia, such as, as Melbourne and, and Sydney and Canberra down south. Huh, that's interesting. So you do live in the Northern Territory. I mean, you're very familiar with this area. That's correct. I've lived in the Northern Territory since the early 1990s. And I've had some stints overseas working in my in as a curator, but ultimately Darwin in the Northern Territory is my long term home. Hmm. So you mentioned these five art centers: Tiwi, Gilamara, Inyalak, Babara, and Maripin. Uh, and these are um, representing, as you said, different areas and different cultural and linguistic groups. And as you walk through the show, you do notice a different style that each center has. How did you choose these five of all the art centers and do they represent the range and breadth of Aboriginal textile production? The process of selecting the five art centers, it was difficult. There are other Indigenous art centers that are producing great textiles, but I really wanted to think about the history of textile production. And these five centers had been producing textiles for somewhere between 30 to 50 years. And so it was really interesting to think that textiles had actually been the mainstay of the establishment of these art centres. Although artists there have gone on to become often world famous as painters, as fibre artists, as um, sculptors, uh, it's actually the textiles that were the foundational creative practice that helped establish these centres or why these centres came together in the first place. Hmm. So it was on that basis that I chose the five centres and also it was something about that geographic uh, spread across the very top end of Australia. It seemed to be good to give it a bit of a regional focus. Of course, there are Indigenous artists printing textiles in the desert of Australia, over in far north Queensland, in parts of the Kimberley in the north of Western Australia as well. Hmm. What role did the artists and the art centers play in shaping uh, this exhibition at the Fowler? Uh, we had a lot of fun together, working together. It was a really amazing process. And I was really committed from the outset to make it a very inclusive process that the artists' voices would be very much part of the exhibition. So initially what happened, I visited each of the five art centers and presented them the sort of idea of the exhibition which was greeted really enthusiastically. I spent time at each art centre, just hanging out, watching people at work, building relationships with the artists. And sometimes they'd take me out on country. At Inyalak, we went up to a beautiful rock art site out the back at Inyalak Hill. So their art centre is named after a hill that's out the back of the area. When I say out the back, it's about 10 kilometres away. 10 kilometres is what? That's probably about seven miles away. And um, we walked up into the stone country to look at beautiful old rock art paintings. And they took me there so that I would understand that some of the iconography they're printing on their textiles 
is actually something they've inherited. It's really ancient iconography that was painted by their ancestors that tell creation stories on the rock art sites. So by visiting each of the art centres, I got a real sense of the techniques that people were using, the processes, the way in which the printing worked within each art centre, what sort of facilities they had, who had skills in which area. And of course, I got to see a lot of the textiles firsthand. So we were able to commission a number of textiles and acquire over 50 textiles for the Fowler Museum, which is really wonderful because now the Fowler has the largest collection of Aboriginal screen printed textiles outside of Australia as a cultural institution. And so people were really enthusiastic. The project was moving along. And at that point, I had made a selection of what I thought would make a good exhibition also having made some selections from some other cultural institutions and private collections. And then what happened was I said, well, why don't we all get together back in Australia, in Darwin, and have a curatorium? So everyone came into Darwin and we spent two days together at the Charles Darwin University. And we worked together to really, really in a workshop context. And each art centre worked on selecting and clarifying which textiles would go in their section, what orientation, how we would display each design. Was it vertical? Was it horizontal? How many repeats of the design had to be shown? We worked on scripting together some of the interpretive material that appears in the exhibition. And then we also talked about the idea of creating videos. And so if you have the chance to see the exhibition, one of the things I'm really thrilled about is each of the art centres ultimately was able to produce with the Fowler Museum a short video that elucidates some aspect of their textile production. And so the process of doing that was really great. Sometimes I was involved in some of that filming. Other times the art centres did it independently. It's so great to have those voices. But not only the voices of the artists, it's actually a lot of that filming is on country. We use that term in Australia, on country. It means people are on their traditional lands that they own. And so being able to film on country for the artists is a very powerful way for them also to show people where they live and to share some of their techniques and some of their knowledge directly with the audiences at the exhibition. So that was sort of part of the process. And the final part of that puzzle, which is, um, is not complete yet, we're hoping to bring some artists over to L.A., in June this year. Uh, some of the artists are really keen to uh, have the opportunity to come and visit the exhibition and celebrate the exhibition at the Fowler. So we're hoping some of them will be able to come over and have a really good look at the exhibition in June this year. That's great. Wow. So it really was a very collaborative process and the artist made some important decisions and not just which work would be included, but how it would be displayed. And like you said, with the videos, I mean, there's one video that shows um, Tiwi men and women wearing, you know, clothing that includes these uh, fabrics as part of a ceremonial ritual. So you really see how these fabrics play a role in their lives, you know, not just as standalone objects, but as part of their culture. Absolutely. I think that's a really important point that although the textiles have gained a lot of currency out in the wider world as they're used in fashion, garment construction, they're featured in interior designs um, and soft furnishings and what have you, and also as art objects, 
I think what's really important to remember is that the screen printed textiles really took off in a way because people on community also really embraced the designs because the designs that are printed on the textiles often have real significance for them. So in some instances, it might be a print that people are proud to wear as a t-shirt or as a sort of a, a funky outfit for some occasion. But really interestingly, on the Tiwi Islands, for example, screen printing has become part of ceremonial practice. As you mentioned, um, you've seen some images. Men customarily would wear naga for ceremony that they would perform. Right. And those are like loincloths. Yeah, it's like a loincloth. That's right. And so over time, and of course, that cloth originally was introduced to Australia. Uh, Aboriginal Australians don't have a tradition of weaving cloth per se, but that cloth originally was introduced from uh, Makassar, from uh, South Sulawesi in Indonesia. And cloth did come into play through being introduced to the continent as a sort of a very rare and um, prestigious object that was incorporated into ceremonial objects. But in the instance of the Tiwi Islanders, the way the men used the naga, they began then wearing printed naga, screen printed naga. And then the women started going, oh, well, uh, we're also going to get skirts made uh, for ceremony. And what happens now, which is really interesting on the Tiwi Islands, their biggest ceremony that they continue to practice is called a pukumani ceremony. It's a series of rituals that happens when people pass away. And for Pukamani ceremony now, the Tiwi Islanders, to honour the person that has died, they often will print an emblem that is associated with that person. It might be a particular animal that is that person's dance. So in the Tiwi culture, people have an, a relationship to particular animals who they have a responsibility to perform the dance for that animal. So, if, for example, if it's a shark, uh, if that person had danced the shark dance, people might end up printing beautiful skirts to wear to the pukumani, the funeral ceremony, wearing that emblem of the shark to really honour that person. So in many ways, these designs have become very incorporated into day-to-day -day wear, but also the mortuary practices, not only in the Tiwi Islands, but also to some degree in Arnhem Land. In Arnhem Land, often a length of cloth will be requested by the family, a beautiful length of screen-printed cloth, and that will be draped over the coffin of the deceased. So these textiles actually do hold a lot of meaning, and they're used within community, but also then they're, they're marketed and sold to the broader non-Indigenous society. So you mentioned sharks. There's lots of imagery on these textiles that reference the land and the relationship with nature imagery uh, that also has kind of cosmological and um, mythological references as well. Can you talk about some of the iconography that one sees in these textiles? It's so rich in iconography, these uh, textiles, and also some of that iconography varies from art centre to art centre, or in fact, it's language group to language group, because indeed, they're, they're different cultures. But just to pull out a few really amazing examples, I mentioned the rock art earlier at Inulak Hill. On that hill, there's some amazing imagery. One of them is of an ancestor figure called Yingana. And Yingana is a woman. She's drawn on the rock art with 15 dilly bags. Dilly bags are woven conical baskets with a strap that are used for gathering, traditionally used for hunting and you know carrying berries and implements and things like that. Yingana has 15 uh, streaming off her shoulders on this beautiful rock art drawing or painting. 
that Yangana imagery, that ancestor, is believed to have been responsible for carrying and bringing the 15 languages that now exist across Arnhem Land. Each of those dilly bags is believed to have held a language and she dropped them as she flew over the countryside and she also dropped in those bags the little baby and the implements that it needed to survive. And so this is a beautiful creation story that uh, reminds us of, you know, Mother Earth, the mother being the ultimate um, bearer of life, and that uh, Yingana delivered these languages. So there's beautiful imagery of Yingana from Inyalak. There's beautiful imagery of York York. York York are sort of like water spirits, the artists tell me. York York live in billabongs and water holes and sometimes they appear in the very still of day, in the heat of the day when you're sitting quietly and resting by the, the billabong in the shade and all of a sudden this spirit might appear. But you have to be careful of the York York because she will entice you into the billabong, <laughs> maybe not for a good reason. So the, the York York is, um, is a really important water spirit that is attributed to, to different cultures across Arnhem Land, know her by different names, but she's, um, she's certainly revered. And that, that is sort of partly reminding people about the danger of water uh, in an area where, as I mentioned before, there's lots of big flood plains during the wet season. There's lots of crocodiles living in the waterways. There's lots of other animals. We have other beautiful images that reflect the Owen Pelly python. It's a huge serpent. It's a huge snake that lives in Arnhem Land. That's depicted. We have long-necked turtles. The women from Manangrida um, did a beautiful, Jennifer Workich, one of the artists, did a beautiful design called Freshwater Story. And she shows the implements, her digging stick that she takes with her to go hunting for long-necked turtle for barramundi, but also she uses the stick to dig down into the earth to pull up roots uh, that traditionally were foodstuffs that the Kunwinku people lived off in that region. Hmm. Lots of different imagery. Yeah, it's a really, and, and then of course there's objects of material culture. So some of the designs on the textiles relate to fish traps that were customarily made, to string bags, there's a beautiful design by a young artist called Dylan Mingun. Dylan's from Maripan Arts. Dylan's design is of the didgeridoo, which is known as the yambi in his language. But the didgeridoo is a long cylindrical wooden instrument. It's a wind instrument. It's incredibly hard to play, but it's very much a part of the cultural traditions of the top end of Australia. Right. And it requires circular breathing in order to play it, right? Absolutely. It's a really, really, really difficult instrument to play. <laughs> it's customarily played by Aboriginal men. Mm. And Dylan is, is a young uh, musician. And so he wanted to make a beautiful design that honours this incredible instrument that he is very fortunate to have been taught by his ancestors and elders the skill to play. Yeah. I loved uh, one of the prints from Tiwi is of a tutini pole, which I read is a kind of a grave marker that's carved and painted. That's a beautiful one printed on a textile that's dyed with um, sort of a red and yellow gradient uh, color wave. Yeah, that's by a very famous artist called Bede Tungatalam. 
Bede is one of the original uh, screen printers uh, at um, Tiwi Design, which is the oldest of the, the five art centres, having been printing textiles for over 50 years. So Bede is a very accomplished artist and um, the design honours the Chitini pole, which is a wooden, yeah, it's a grave marker. It's They're carved as part of that Pukumani ceremony I mentioned before. It's the responsibility of certain members of the family to carve the Jutini pole. Some people will go and get the wood. Other people have the responsibility of carving it. And it's also painted. So it's painted with um, Jilamara. Jilamara is a term from the Tiwi Islands. It relates to the use of circles, dots and lines to create patterns. And traditionally, Jilamara were painted on the body with natural ochres sometimes painted onto uh, tutini poles as well. And often on the top of the tutini pole, there's a type of bark basket that would be placed on the top of the pole to feed the spirit of the deceased as they make their journey to the afterlife. And these poles are placed outside um, around the area where the Pukumani ceremony occurs and they're left there. And over time, when you visit the Tiwi Islands, you might enter a little clearing and all of a sudden uh, there's a, a group of these poles. They're left there to uh, honour the deceased and to just disintegrate into the environment over time. Um, yeah, most of the prints uh, do have images that somehow connote uh, the land and um, animals and, and plants. There's one piece that stood out that seemed a little bit like an outlier, but which spoke more to the situation in which Indigenous people find themselves in Australia. And that was um, from the Jilamara Arts and Crafts Association called World Peace Tiwi Treaty. And it, it's a, a piece that it uses text and calls for a treaty uh, between the federal government and First Nations people in Australia. Australia, which does not currently exist. Yeah, that's correct. That's a really powerful piece. It's very contemporary. It was just so obvious to include that one, both because of the issue of the treaty, but also I, I love the fact it uses text. So it's using Indigenous language text uh, as text in the design. And that's actually another technique that people have used the printing for to actually transmit language. And there's some other instances of that in the exhibition. But in regard to Jonathan Bush's work, yes, his work is entitled World Peace Tiwi Treaty. He's a real advocate for treaty in Australia and I think it's disheartening that we don't have a treaty in Australia amongst our First Nations people and our government to recognise that Indigenous people never ceded our sovereignty of their lands. So their lands were appropriated through colonial you know, a colonial presence that came here. And we look forward, many Australians look forward to the uh, the day, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, uh, when there will be a treaty uh, for First Nations Australians. As you mentioned earlier, these art centres uh, started back in the 60s and 70s, but these textiles that they produce have become uh, very popular in Australia. And you see them now uh, coming into the worlds of high fashion, apparel, housewares, interior furnishings, and collectibles. In fact, one of the videos in the show is of a fashion show and, and people walking down the runway wearing these textiles. How are you seeing the popularity of these textiles spread and how does that benefit the Aboriginal artists that are creating them? Look, it's been really amazing. Although these screen printed textiles have been being produced on and off over a period of 50 years, in the last 10 years or so, they've really gained traction uh, in Australia. 
through, as you said, the fashion, through the interior design. And part of that is due to some initiatives that began out on community. Mera Panarts, one of our the five art centres that feature work in the exhibition, back in 2014, I think it was, they held a fashion parade on country in community as part of a small festival they run. And it was a phenomenal success. They collaborated with designers from an interstate university and um, had some great gear made up and got young members of the community involved in modelling the textiles that maybe their mothers or aunties or even grandmothers had designed. And um, it was really phenomenal because people just, A, loved the outfits and the garments and and got inspiration about how you could use the cloth and the, the printed cloth. But also it was a really great boon because all of a sudden a lot of young Aboriginal people were stepping up and going, oh, wow, this is fun. They were taking real pride in who they were, their identity, and the parades gave them a sort of a a means by which to present a very positive view of their cultural identity. So the fashion parade thing has really taken off, particularly up in the north of Australia. We have a thing called the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair every year in Darwin, and it brings all these art centres from, well, actually we have at the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair has over 70 um, art centres that t- that are part of the fair and they host this uh, major fashion event called Country to Couture and so this fashion parade has grown in momentum incredibly in recent years to the point that we now have a National Indigenous Fashion Award system where people from all over the country are nominated for awards uh, that relate to uh, the fashion industry and Indigenous design. So it really has gained so much momentum. And I think it brings this focus back, though, to the absolute beauty and incredible dynamism of these textiles. And in a way, the textiles serve as, um, if you want, ambassadors or representations of their cultural identity. And some of these artists and language groups and communities, you know, there might only be a, a, a couple of thousand or even a few hundred, in some cases, people that still speak the languages of these cultures. So it's incredibly powerful for them, I think, sending these images out into the world, images that they have cultural ownership over, and reminding people that they continue to thrive and survive that they continue to innovate and create and that um, they're very much a part of the modern contemporary world as well as having a very deep history and deep connection to land. And I think that's the other thing the textiles really affirm. They're very contemporary expressions, but they're affirming that age-old connection to land and to country and that for Aboriginal people, their land and language is who they are. And so I think the textiles really embody all of those elements. Well, Joanna, thank you so much for uh, explaining all this and, uh, and congratulations on the show. It really is a, a stunning uh, show. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. And I just want to thank you. And I also would like to thank all the artists and the art centres that have been involved in the development of the exhibition, which is on at the Fowler Museum at the moment. 
That's Joanna Barkman, Senior Curator of Southeast Asian and Pacific Arts Department at the Fowler Museum. The show is called Aboriginal Screen Printed Textiles from Australia's Top End. It'll be on view at the Fowler through July 10th of 2022. I'm Avishai Artsy, and this has been Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. Thanks for listening and take care. Thank you.